A fake doctor injured her at just six weeks old, which left her blind. She almost died during a cholera epidemic that spread through New York City. She knew the American presidents, John Quincy Adams, James Polk, and Grover Cleveland. She was the first woman in American history to address Congress. She wrote over 8,000 hymns, and her goal in life was summed up in the words from her hymn, To God Be the Glory. Welcome back to the Church History Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens. Over the summer, I told the stories of hymns. I asked people to send me their favorite hymns they wanted covered. One writer wrote many of the hymns people sent to me, and I knew her story needed to be saved. And I'm telling that story now as part of our regular series, because her life was so very important to church history and still impacts us today. As I did research for this podcast, I had a hard time picking just one song to focus on. So I found live streams of church services on YouTube where the congregations were singing. Throughout this episode, you're going to hear church congregations singing. I hope you enjoyed this story and that you are as inspired as I was. In 1820, America was a nation of vast wilderness, growing cities, and profound change. Less than half a century since America gained its independence, the aftermath of the American Revolution still lingered in the collective memory as the young nation grappled with the challenges of its newfound independence. The United States, spanning from Atlantic Ocean to the Mississippi River, was a diverse tapestry of people, cultures, and landscapes. On the eastern seaboard, cities like Boston, New York, and Philadelphia bustled with trade, industry, and a growing population. Yet even in these urban centers, life remarkably differs from what we know today. Gas lamps flickered on cobblestone streets. Carriages clattered alongside pedestrians in bonnets and top hats. While steam-powered ships were emerging as a revolutionary means of transportation, many still relied on horse-drawn wagons for long-distance travelers. Westward, the nation stretched into a vast, uncharted territories, beckoning settlers and pioneers to explore the unknown. Once a formidable barrier, the great Mississippi River became a vital waterway for commerce, and the steamboat's paddle wheels churned with muddy waters carrying passengers and goods to new frontiers. In the South, plantations thrived, cultivating cash crops like cotton, tobacco, and rice. But the institution of slavery was deeply entrenched and contributed to divide the nation and fueled the growing debates over states' rights and the federal government's role. A spirit of reform and industrialization took root in the North. Mills and factories sprung up along the rivers, and the textile industry was on the cusp of transformation, foreshadowing the future shift from agriculture to industrial society. Amidst this backdrop, the 1820s 
marked a turning point in American history, where the nation was poised on the edge of transformative change, and the promise of a new era lay just beyond the horizon. And it was into this world, just 50 miles north of New York City, that on March 24, 1820, Francis Jan Crosby was born to John and Mercy Crosby. She was their only child. She was born healthy, but at just six weeks old, she caught a cold and developed inflammation in her eyes. Her family doctor wasn't in town, so Mercy took her baby to see another doctor. That doctor put a mustard pack on her eyes that damaged her optic nerves and blinded her. It was later learned that the doctor had no medical degree and was practicing without a license. Then, when Franny was only six months old, her father passed away. Her mother moved in with Franny's grandmother, and they moved to North Salem, New York. Her grandmother, Eunice, took care of her while her mother worked to support the family. Her mother and grandmother wanted her to live a life of independence, so they refused to help her, forcing her to do everything that other children her age were able to do. They enrolled her in school, but they found teachers refused to teach her, believing that because she was blind, she would never learn. But Franny was extremely smart, and at a very young age, she began to write poems. This is a poem she wrote as a child. What a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world I will content be. How many blessings do I enjoy that other people don't? To weep and sigh because I'm blind? I cannot, and I won't. Franny remembered almost everything that was said to her. Her grandmother would read the Bible to her all the time, and each week she memorized five chapters of the Bible. By the time she was 15 years old, she had memorized the first five books of the Bible, all four Gospels, the Book of Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and many Psalms. In 1835, Franny's mother heard of a special school that was opening in New York City, a school just for blind students. She knew her daughter had a very special talent, and she knew that if Fanny could go to school and be taught, she would be able to reach her potential. So she wrote to the school, telling them about her daughter. The school was founded by a man named Samuel Wood, and when Mr. Wood heard about Fanny, he accepted her into his school. This opportunity was a turning point for her. Fanny moved to New York City and attended the school. She was taught how to read and write in Braille, and she was also allowed to learn music. At this point, Fanny had memorized many books of the Bible, and her memorization skills shocked the teachers at the school. As part of raising money for the school, many very important people were invited to visit the school, and Fanny became the student who would welcome them. She would meet the visitors and quote poetry for them, often poetry she had written herself. And because of this, she was able to meet U.S. presidents and her skills so stuck with them that they would come back to visit her. Throughout her life, Fanny became friends with John Quincy Adams, James K. Polk, and Grover Cleveland. In 1843, 
Fanny Crosby graduated from the New York Institute of the Blind, and then they hired her to become a teacher, and she began instructing other blind students. She would teach there for 11 years. During that time, she wrote the eulogy for U.S. President William Henry Harrison. She had a book published called The Blind Girl and Other Poems, and then a second book, Montgomery and Other Poems. But her real love was listening to music and then writing words for the music. There was a man named George F. Root. He was a music teacher at the school, and he asked Fanny for some help, and they wrote a cantata called The Flower Queen. Some of the songs in the cantata became the most popular songs of the day. In 1843, Fanny joined a group of lobbyists in Washington, D.C., arguing for support for education for blind people. And she became the first woman in history to address the United States Senate, and there she read a poem. In the Congress that day was John Quincy Adams, who praised her highly. Life was amazing for Fanny. She was educated, she had a job, she was respected and loved by politicians, her music was becoming popular in culture. Then, tragedy hit. I did an episode about the life of Florence Nightingale, and I'll put links in the show notes for her episode. One of the important parts of Florence Nightingale was her reaction to the cholera outbreak in London. That outbreak also hit America the same year. In the summer of 1849, New York City was this bustling metropolis, teeming with life and activity. The city's population was rapidly growing, fueled by immigration and the influx of people seeking opportunities in the wake of the Irish potato famine. Manhattan streets were filled with voices from various corners of the world, each contributing to this rich tapestry of the city's culture. But there was a dark and deadly shadow looming over the city amidst this vibrant urban landscape. The dreaded cholera epidemic had arrived on America's shores and struck New York City with a vengeance. The disease, characterized by severe diarrhea and vomiting, had the power to spread like wildfire, causing widespread panic and misery. Now the city's infrastructure, while advancing, it still struggled to keep up with this rapidly expanding population. Overcrowding and unsanitary living conditions in the growing slums provided this fertile breeding ground for the bacteria. Contaminated water sources, poor sewage systems only made the problem worse. And as the epidemic raged on, the streets that had been bustling with activity now witnessed a grim procession. Carriages carried the sick and dying to makeshift hospitals, hastily set up to care for the afflicted, and a cloud of fear hung over the city as people tried to avoid contact with one another and ventured outside only when necessary. At the School of Blind People, students were hit as well. Fanny was a teacher, and she worked hard to help her students. The school sent the students home, telling them to leave New York. However, several students were unable to return to their homes. So Fanny and a few other faculty members decided to remain, 
convinced that God would care for them so they could help the children. There was one little girl who Franny became very attached to, and that little girl became sick. Fanny took care of her, and one night, Fanny sat in a rocking chair, holding the little girl, rocking her and singing to her. The little girl told her she was ready to lie down and go to sleep. When Fanny laid her down, the little girl said, Goodbye, I will be with Jesus tonight. Fanny stayed with her throughout the night, but fell asleep, and when she woke to check on her in the morning, the little girl had died. In May, June, and July, 2,200 people in New York died. 20 teachers caught the sickness and 10 died. Fanny worked with the school's doctor, Dr. Clement. One of the things the doctor did was create a pill to help fight the sickness, and Fanny helped him with making the pills. The school was just one street away from the hospital, so the mostly emptied school was used as a cholera hospital. The cry, bring out your dead, was often heard in the street. The call was to bring the dead out of their homes, and the city officials would take the bodies to the morgue. In July, Fanny had been working so hard and had gone days without sleeping that she felt herself getting sick, and she realized she had caught cholera. She took a bunch of medicine she'd been making, and this overdose of the medications made her go into a deep sleep. However, sleep was what her body needed, and she survived. But she was very sick, and the school said she could no longer stay in New York, and she was sent to her mother's home in Connecticut. She was cared for at home with her mother and regained her strength, and by winter she was ready to return to New York City, and the school reopened in November. As Fanny returned to the school, she had changed. She had come face to face with her mortality. While Fanny had memorized large parts of the Bible, she had never chosen to give her life to God. In her early life, she was exposed to God through her grandmother and her mother. But at the School for Blind Students, she had become indifferent towards spiritual matters. She had been caught up in the popularity and respect she gained from well-known and important people. But now, she was drawn to search for a real relationship with God, and she began attending the 18th Street Methodist Church. Revival services were held at the Methodist Broadway Tabernacle on 13th Street in the autumn of 1850. Each night, Fanny and others from the New York Institute for the Blind attended the meetings. She stepped forward two times when the invitation was issued at the end of the service seeking comfort for her inner spiritual problems, but she could not find peace. On November the 20th, she finally went to the altar by herself, and as she began praying, the assembly sang, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, by Isaac Watts. When they got to the words, Here, Lord, I give myself away, Fanny proclaimed, her heart's longing. She yielded her life to Jesus. Later, when she spoke of that night, she would say that her soul was flooded with a celestial light. A week later, she stood before the class and told them about her recent conversion. 
when she was pushed by a friend to commit her entire will and entire life to God, she responded, promising to do her duty whenever the Lord made it obvious to her. She would do whatever God asked of her. But then one day, she was invited to finish a meeting with a quick prayer. Her reaction was, oh, I can't. But God reminded her of her promise to always do what God asked of her. So she prayed. Sixty years later, she wrote about that exact day and said, from that hour on, I never refused to pray or speak in a public service. And from that, I've been richly blessed. That same year, 1850, Fanny married Alexander Van Elstrine, a musician and fellow student from the Institute, and her name was legally changed to Fanny Van Elstrine. However, Alexander believed she should keep her name Fanny Crosby in public because she was already becoming so well-known, and he was content for their marriage to stay in the background, letting her shine. Alex was also a musician and wrote the music for some of Fanny's songs. In 1859, Fanny gave birth to a baby, but the child died shortly after birth. Fanny never spoke about the incident. It's not even clear to historians if the baby was a girl or a boy, and it's also unknown how the child died. But the death of the child changed Fanny and Alex's marriage. Fanny and Alex chose to not have any more children, and this was something that Fanny never truly recovered from. It was a topic she refused to speak of. She wrote the song, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, in memory of her child. In 1864, Fanny met William Bradbury. William Bradbury had studied and performed wildly in Europe and America. But he wasn't pleased with the poems he was being presented with, and he was looking for someone who could write him suitable lyrics. Fanny's pastor introduced the two, and William became both a business and personal friend. The first day they met, he asked her to write words for a song he had written. The next day, Fanny returned, and she had written a song. William loved it, and he hired her to write many songs for him. Now, if the name William Bradbury sounds familiar, we've talked about him before in our songs, Just As I Am and Jesus Loves Me, because he wrote the music for both songs. And I have those episodes in the show notes for you to listen to, and you can learn more about his life. William died in 1868, so Fanny was only able to write for him for a few years. However, his publishing company asked her to continue writing for them after his death and she began writing for a man named Doan. He also found places for her to speak. Fanny was repeatedly requested to speak, and one day she was lecturing at a prison and sharing the gospel, when one of the prisoners said, Good Lord, please don't pass me by. That cry out of the prisoner inspired her to write the song, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. And that song was later used in the same prison, which brought many other prisoners to come to Christ.
Not long after this, Fanny spoke again at another audience. And as she was speaking, she suddenly felt God stop her and ask her to give this message. She said, I believe there's a sweet youngster here who has strayed away from his mother's instructions, and I would like him to please come and see me after the service. And then she continued speaking. After she finished, a young man came forward and said he was who she was talking about. He had told his mother that he would be with her in heaven, but now he wasn't sure. Right there, Fanny showed him how to come to Christ. And after he prayed, the young man said, I found my mother's God, and I will meet her in heaven. That night, when Fanny got home, she wrote the song, Rescue the Perishing. The song, Rescue the Perishing, was written just before an event that led to the most American deaths in history. From 1861 until 1865, around 850 young men perished in the Civil War. The Civil War in America was a fight to end the sin of slavery. The battlefield was full of young men, barely finished boyhood, who died horrible, cruel deaths. More Americans died during this war than all other wars in American history combined. It was a necessary and yet devastatingly sad time in American history. Many of Fanny's songs were sung during this time to bring hope to a nation in crisis. And after the war, as a nation tried to find its footing again, Fanny continued writing her music and her songs continue to impact the country. Seven years after the Civil War, Fanny was visiting a friend named Phoebe Knapp, a talented musician and composer. It was the summer of 1873. Knapp played a melody on her piano and asked Fanny what she thought. Fanny explained, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, and then began writing the lyrics right there on the spot. In just one hour, she wrote the song, Blessed Assurance. In 1875, Fanny wrote the song, To God Be the Glory. She originally titled the hymn, Praise for Redemption. This was a song that was the message of her life. She lived her life not for her own glory, but to always point everyone to God. Fanny met Dwight L. Moody, the renowned evangelist of his time, and Ira, his featured soloist in 1876, and this began a long personal and professional relationship with them. They used many of her hymns, seeing her talents as an important part of their ministry. We did two episodes on the life of D.L. Moody, and I'll put both of those episodes in the show notes. During one of D.L. Moody's conferences, he heard that Fanny was in the crowd, and he called her to come up on stage, and she was able to share her story with everyone. Ira, who sang at DL's conferences, became great friends with Fanny and sang many of her songs. In the heart of Cincinnati, Ohio, in 1876, two beautiful friends, Fanny and Doan, found themselves in a deep, spirited conversation about God's blessings and his unwavering presence. 
The sun was dipping beyond the horizon, and the sky was painted in beautiful shades of red and gold. And don't sat there, explaining and describing the beautiful scenery to Fanny. They began speaking about how great God was, and how this beautiful sunset made them feel closer to God. As he was describing the beautiful sunset, Fanny remembered Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith. As Fanny felt the sun's golden rays all around her, she felt as if she was drawing closer and closer to God, and she felt a full assurance of faith. She began writing down words to a hymn right there on the spot. And the hymn, Draw Me Nearer, had its beginning. It was right there, in that Cincinnati sunset, that the timeless hymn was born. Three years later, she wrote the song, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. In 1882, Franny wrote the song, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. Then in 1891, she wrote another famous song. It was a beautiful summer evening in western New York, near the shores of Lake Erie, at a Christian camp. The camp was a gathering place for people to attend, and they hosted week-long Bible conferences. It was a beautiful evening there in 1891 that the camp had a visitor, Fanny Crosby. On this evening, she found herself sitting on the hotel's front porch, sitting on the rocking chair, and speaking with a fellow guest named Pastor John Sweeney, who was from New York. Both Fanny and John loved writing hymns. As they were speaking, Fanny spoke to John and said, do you know that if I had been able to make just one request to my Creator at birth, it would be that I should be born blind? John was confused by this. Why would you wish for such a thing? With a gentle smile, she said, Because when I get to heaven, the very first face that I will ever see will be that of my Savior. John said, But Fanny, You've been blind your whole life, and you've never seen anyone. How will you know that it's Jesus' face you're seeing when you get to heaven? That's easy, she said. When I see Jesus' nail prints in his hands, I will know who he is. The concept struck John, and he recognized the potential for a beautiful hymn. So he asked Fanny if she would write something. Fanny said she was very tired, and so she said she would go to her room and sleep and maybe write something in the morning. The next morning, Fanny met John for breakfast, and she handed him a piece of paper, and there were these words. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and his smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know him. I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the print of the nails in his hands. In the years to come, this hymn, born on campgrounds, 
one evening would find its place in the hearts of many believers, a testimony to the enduring faith and the inspiration of Fanny Crosby. In 1890, Fanny wrote the song, He Hideth My Soul, based on the verse Exodus chapter 33, verse 22. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. This song was written closer to the end of her life. She had faced blindness, the death of a child, cholera outbreak, civil war, and through it all, she remained happy and active. This song that she wrote near the end of her life shows the secret to a happy and fulfilled life. In 1902, her husband, Alexandra, passed away. By the end of their marriage, they were living in separate homes. She never spoke about trouble in the marriage. Most historians believe that in making sure they did not have children after the death of their baby, they lived more as good friends than as husband and wife. However, they did always seem to love and care for each other. Alex remaining in the shadows and letting Fanny shine. After his death, Fanny continued to write, and she would have over 8,000 hymns published. In 1915, Fanny Crosby passed away on February the 12th at the age of 94. Her hymns, including Blessed Assurance, To God Be the Glory, Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross, are still sung today in churches all around the world. Fanny Crosby's life was marked by her deep faith and her ability to inspire others through her hymns, despite the challenges she faced due to her blindness. Her hymns remain part of Christian worship and are celebrated for their enduring messages of faith and devotion. While working on this episode, I put a request out on social media to tell me your favorite Fanny Crosby song. I had two that stood out for me. One was Rescue the Perishing. You heard that song already. And the singers of that song were Fountain View Academy. And I will put a link to the YouTube video in the comments below. The most requested song was Blessed Assurance. And one of my favorite versions of that song is from the singer that I love named Lore. And she allowed me to use her music before and she's allowing me to use it again. So please take the time to check out her links in the show notes and enjoy this amazing version of Blessed Assurance. And I'll see you next week. Blessed Assurance Jesus is mine Oh, what a
Praising my s 
Savior all the day long. 